and welcome to the Turtle Tracks Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Van Hooker, and I'm here today with Chris Fawcett, the author of a book called Rad Plastic, which uh, is brand new out from um, from Chris, and it is uh, all about the uh, the classic Turtles line. Honestly, it's a fantastic book, and I just couldn't wait to talk to you about it, Chris. So thanks so much for being here. Oh, yeah. Thanks, Brian. I'm happy to be on and uh, happy to talk to you about it. Yeah, so for those who aren't familiar with this, and uh, you absolutely should be, it's a book that's, how many pages is this? I'm sorry, I should have known that. It's 400. <laughs> 400 pages, and uh, all about the Classics Turtle line, everything from the very beginning up until Next Mutation, and uh, before that that break, before the 2003 series. And it is uh, just a fantastic, thorough book about the toy line, and also a ton of toys that were never made. So just a great work of passion that's just beautifully put together. So uh, yeah, if you don't have it already, please check it out because it's great. But uh, I guess for you, Chris, what what motivated you to make this book? I mean, where did it come from? Uh, well, really, it wasn't even on purpose. <laughs> it was kind of accidental. Um, you know, I've been a toy collector for more than two decades now. And uh, I generally sort of gravitated to some of the the prototype and pre-production pieces partially because I just have sort of a love for the artistry of those at that stage. You know, it's, you're really looking at um, true artists, painters that did packaging uh, designs or sculptors that, you know, could sculpt things amazing figures and shapes and even engineers. Um, I'm an engineer myself. So even engineering wise, the creativity of, a, of some, you know, unique or interesting uh, mechanism in a toy. And, um, so I, I kind of gravitated towards that. And just in the course of my pursuit of those type of things for some other lines I collect, I just happened to stumble across a pretty substantial uh, amount of Ninja Turtle stuff, so much so that I thought maybe I could do a book. And at the time, I was thinking, oh, maybe 100, 150 pages. And I decided, well, let me, if I'm going to do this, I probably need more than what I initially had. So I'm like, let me do, I'm going to do more research. I'm going to try and find people, talk to people, you know, see if I can go to Playmates headquarters, which I did get to do at one point. Um, try and find as many of the artists that work on this as possible and see what other content I could discover. So that led to about a almost three year journey, um, finding other people, visiting them, uh, seeing the interesting things they had, taking photos, getting the stories. And so, uh, yeah, it kind of spurred off of that one initial um, sort of accidental find of some Ninja Turtles um, ephemera. And I just decided from there, I, it needed to be a book because I was, the stuff I was finding was so cool. I didn't want to, I didn't want to keep it to myself. And, you know, I thought about a webpage, but I was like, you know, webpage is nice, but they, I, just, I don't know, for me, there's just something about a nice hardcover coffee oh, yeah. table size thing that you can flip through that just is really compelling for me. And like, I buy so many of those books, I got stacks and stacks of coffee tables kind of books, you know, the art of pick your movie, you know, <laughs> those yeah. kind of things. I have tons of those. So I, I decided I wanted to do a book rather than just a website. And so that was sort of the genesis of it. Honestly, and it's the, the product of it is so cool. And you learn a ton about how to, toys are put together. Like I've talked to a number of the toy makers um, of the line for this podcast, and I, I never had such a clear picture of how the what the process was like, especially in the analog days, as far as how these things are put together. So it's a really cool education part of it too, which I liked. 
Yeah, and, and I'm a former uh, toy engineer from the industry, so oh, cool. that's that's part of what I think made it perfect for me to write sort of the kind of book I wrote. You know, it's not just an encyclopedia or an index or a visual guide, say, to production toys. That's not what my book is. As you said, there's a lot of information in there about how the toys are made and things like that. So, you know, having that background in the toy industry and understanding the whole process, um, both from my job and from talking to all the people I talked to, because there were some things I didn't know much about, like printing, for example, was not something I'd ever really learned about. So I had to learn some things about how printing worked and from some of the people I talked to. But uh, still coming from the technical background, as they're describing it, I could envision it and understand it and and really have a uh, try to translate that into something a casual reader could understand. And hopefully I've accomplished that. It's always a little difficult as someone who is like in it so deep that you know it, like as an yeah. engineer from the toy industry to go, am I really making this digestible by the common fan or is it is it is it too in my own head, you know, of, of the technical terms that I understand, but like maybe uh, not everybody would. So hopefully it came across well and, and even a, um, a non-technical casual fan that's not an engineer can, can understand the process pretty well. No, I'm a, I'm a non-technical uh, fan who uh, gets very lost in any sort of textbook style definition of anything because uh, of my an alarmingly short attention span for something. So <laughs> Uh, no, it's super clear and, and 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 comprehensive, and not not alienating for those who don't kind of get the tech stuff. So I, I I really appreciated kind of understanding the whole process because there were more steps than I realized that they were part of it. So yeah, and you know a lot of people think it's just like oh somebody makes a sculpt and then they they make a mold and then they're making parts and it's like so yeah. much more involved in that that than that and you know and there's all kinds of uh, marketing things involved too, you know, like uh, um, a lot of people that collect toys know of the the annual toy fair event in New York City, uh, just because a lot of times you get press releases about the new stuff coming out next year. So a lot of toy collectors have discovered that that, that thing exists, but maybe what they don't know is like, by the time you're going to toy fair, there are no toys yet, really. Like most of the stuff that's being shown there on display on those tables and in those booths are not final product because it's not ready yet. Sometimes mm. they haven't even decided if they're going to make it because they use Toy Fair as sort of a gauge of interest. And so a lot of times things will get canceled after that. So at that point in time, they haven't put out the massive expense that it takes to do the part of the process to actually make this thing in plastic, which is a major expense um, for the toy companies to do. So at that point in time, it's just hand, it's all handmade stuff. So I was impressed because the and I'm pretty adept on my turtle knowledge, I think. Uh, but there was some stuff that I just didn't know. Like I, I was super surprised to find out a guy named John Handy from Playmates was the guy who suggested the different color masks and the letters and the belts. I, I don't know why I always thought it was David Wise from the cartoon, but well, you know, a lot of realized a, a lot of that stuff. Um I think there were some definitely some things in that time era where everybody was sort of uh, working on the genesis of how do we turn this from kind of a dark comic into a kid's property. And honestly, I've heard some stories about a couple people said they came up with this and oh no, I came up with that. And I honestly believe that like either multiple people were in the room at the time or independently people might've come up with these things. I mean, it's not too hard to think, well, how do we distinguish the turtles from one another? Let's make sure. their masks a different color. Yeah. I can easily see that maybe two or three people independently had that idea. And, you know, so who was the first? I don't know. 
Um, but, you know, John Handy was definitely heavily involved in that first year of toys and uh, really converting that thing uh, from the comic book property into the toy property that it is. So um, he was pretty instrumental. There's, you know, four or five people that were there early on that I think made that thing work that without them, it may not have been what it was. John Handy being one, Carl Ronian from Playmates, Mark Taylor also of He-Man fame had a big say in it or the big design input at the beginning of it. So he was a, a big part of it as well. I didn't get to talk to him, unfortunately, for the book. So there's not a whole lot about him in there, but there are some of his original design sketches in there that I was able to find. Oh, were you able to talk to Handy? I forget. I'm sorry. Yeah, I was able to talk to him. I went and visited him. He runs a fantastic little, uh, <clears throat> I wouldn't even call it a hotel. It's like a, a yurt camp <laughs> up in Big Sur in California. And oh, cool. Man, if you ever want to just drive up that highway between LA and San Francisco and stop for the night and stay in a yurt, his place is pretty awesome. It's called Tree Bones. So oh, nice. Yeah, it's like maybe it could be, you know, like some people visit the town here in North Carolina where they filmed some of the movie. Like, Maybe John Handy's yurt could be the next like TMNT place to visit. Yeah, know? right. There's a ton of history coming from that. Yeah, guy. go stay in the yurt. You can talk to one of the guys who worked on the line. You know, it's, it'd be fun. That's so cool. And like, who else? I mean, I, I know you talked to a lot of people, and I, I can't expect you to name them all. But who were some of the other people that were cool to talk to for this? Well, I, you know, uh, the, the sculptors um, Scott Hensey, as you mentioned, and Steve Warner. Yeah, yeah. Uh, those two studios did so much of the sculpting work. I would guess that probably 90% plus of the sculpting work was done by them, or at least went through them. At times they got so busy that they would outsource it to independent sculptors they knew that didn't actually work at their studio. So there were several people I talked to was like, yeah, I did that thing, but I, you know, I did it through Varner. I did it through, through Anaglyph. Um, so those two were, were major people to talk to and, and get, um, the, the stories and also some, some great photographs and things, uh, that they had. So, um, as far as, you know, Carl Ronian at Playmates was fantastic and, and really important to talk to. He's been, he, he had a time where he wasn't at Playmates, but he's back there now. And like Ninja Turtles has been almost his whole career, you know, oh, except cool. for a little stint at, uh, I think he did a little stint at DreamWorks toys or something. I mean, DreamWorks was trying to do some, some stuff, but, uh, yeah, so he was great, you know, really early in the line. And, and, um, yeah, those, those were probably the, the big ones I really, really wanted to get to and talk to. Um, but I, I probably talked to over well over 100 people. I think I visited in person probably more than 50 at this point Wow! Um, for, for the book. So everything from, you know, packaging artists to packaging layout people, um, you know, sculptors, like I said, uh, engineers, marketing people from Playmates, um, yeah, just you name it. Like anybody I could find, I, I, you know, tried to track down and talk to them. That's great. That's so cool. You know, um, what else did I want to talk? So there's so many things that I wanted to mention, uh, especially with unreleased toys. Um, oh, you know, before I get to that, though, one super cool thing I had no idea about was that early on in the line, there was talk about the first turtles having action features that would show up later, like the head dropping and other stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, that shocked the hell out of me. I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. Those ideas were pretty early. I think they did do them just because at that first year, they weren't sure how successful it was going to be. So they wanted to really limit their financial outlay. Um, there was going to be, originally they had planned a lot more play sets and that got cut down as well um, in year one. And so those ideas got nixed, I think mostly for budgetary reasons in year one, but obviously they came back later, right? I mean, the head dropping happened that 
the Rock'em Sock'em, not Rock'em Sock'em, what's it called? Uh, Smash and Bashing uh, line with the, the little yeah, trigger the little gun. gun. The little green gun, yeah. Yeah, that was that was clearly on concept sketches in like 1987. So That's crazy. That one surprised me more the head dropping because those came out way later, like 92 or something. Yeah, yeah, they were they were much later. So yeah, clearly some of those ideas were were you know revitalized and reused for for later lines. So once the line was successful, now they could uh, you know they knew they could afford to put some more expense into it and uh, make those figures with those features. So thank God they did though. Like think because I, I now I I like those particular toys because I'm nostalgic for everything turtles, but action features always lessened a toy for me every time. Yeah. They always limited how you could play with them. Like, I don't know, they the, the stupid tricks they would do. Like, it was always better to just have a toy. And yeah. You wanted with they, they were like one-trick ponies, usually. Yeah, like, they exactly. They did one thing, and that's all they could really do. And that was cool for about 10 minutes as a kid. And yeah. then you're like, I can't do anything else with this now. Yeah, exactly. Like, the head dropping was cool because it's still a regular toy, and they could just do one thing. That was fine. But, like, some of those action features, like the swimming Donatello, I never played with that toy. It's cool. But I yeah. never played with it, so... Yeah. Um, you know, I'm curious. So, like, uh, there's so many different things, like, uh, like crazy, weird ideas. Like, can you explain what the face was in the <laughs> layer? Because that is the most insane, thank God they didn't do it idea. Yeah, it was, it was weird. Yeah. So, some of the early sketches, um, I'll explain a little bit for the people listening that may not have the book. Um, <laughs> Some of the early sketches of a playset had like this giant, almost godlike looking face, you know, like imagine like Zeus almost, right? Um, that was basically the whole height of the playset. So, like a story tall, one story tall face. Yeah. And the idea, and I'm not sure why they went this way. I never did get a clear reasoning, but the idea was that the turtles would have some kind of mentor or something. But, it, and maybe, in only in, it's only in retrospect that this seems obvious, but isn't Splinter the mentor? Yeah, and, you know. But maybe back then when it first started, maybe that Splinter character wasn't really seen like the mentor that we see Splinter as today, and so it maybe seems obvious now, but it wasn't quite as obvious then. But they wanted like a spirit guide, almost like someone to, you know, help them, send them on, send them on their missions, help them with you know whatever problems that they might have, like a mentor would. Yeah, so I I think they eventually either realized or just decided that hey uh, that could probably be Splinter, and this big face on a wall thing is a little bit weird. <laughs> yeah, and uh, so yeah, they mixed that. There is some like most of the unmade things. I'm like, oh, that's too bad, right? Like, yeah, maybe my favorite or certainly among them is the transforming party wagon, right? Like, how the hell they never made that is just so upsetting to me, and that's one of the ones I've always known about. So it's always yeah. kind of, like upsetting that they never made it. But like, yeah, that one's that one's in the Toy Fair catalog. So some fans that maybe have seen pictures of those, some there have been some people that have scanned those and put them online for a while now. But yeah, yeah, I, I was able to get a nice big, nice big picture in the book. So I think oh, that's probably the the best uh, rendition of that you'll find anywhere. That's such, that would have been such a great toy too because it looks good. Like it genuinely looks like a really good transformer. Yeah. So, I um, but some of like you feel like they dodged a bullet. Like the, all the early villains before Bebop and Rock City were conceived were terrible, terrible villains. Yeah, they they had this idea early on that they were going to do all the good guys were going to be the mutant animals, and the bad guys were all going to be humans. 
Sure. And that was the sort of the initial concept. And that's why they came up with all these different villain ideas. And then I think it was uh, David Weiss, potentially, that maybe suggested, or maybe it was, no, I think it was actually the um, the guy at the cartoon studio uh, suggested that, hey, it would be great for the cartoon if the bad guys were all mutant animals, too, because that's way more interesting and compelling for cartoon storylines than having humans as bad guys. So I think it was it was those guys at uh, I can't remember the studio name off the top of my head. Um, uh, McCray Wolf Swimson. Pardon me, uh, Fred Wolf Studios. Yeah, yeah, Fred Wolf Studios. I think yeah. it was Fred Wolf himself that may have. I think he's passed on now. I wasn't able to talk to him, but Fred yeah. Wolf made the suggestion of doing the bad guys as mutants, and then you know, um, even early on, uh, Peter Laird had drawn like a really early rock steady in one of the early pitch meetings uh, for the turtles. And so I think when they came up with that idea, Laird and Eastman went back to some of their sketches they had been doing and go, well, which one of these do we like? And they definitely pulled the rock steady out of that. And then my understanding is that David Weiss kind of named them. He was the one that came up with the names for, for the, uh, the two. I'm not sure who did the, came up with the original bebop, but I'm pretty sure the rock steady was, a, was a, a Laird design that was, that was earlier, even before they maybe thought of doing the mutant animals. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know. I, I knew, I knew that big headed rock steady was early on in the line. I couldn't remember. I could, I didn't remember where yeah. he came from as a character. Um, yeah. And those early villains are like, like a carpenter, a sportsman, a plumber. Like they're just terrible. Like yeah. I bought those toys. Like the whole, the whole line would have failed. Yeah, who, who would want a plumber with a, you know, or a guy with a chainsaw for a hand? I mean, it's kind of cool, but when I could have a, like a mutant turtle and yeah, shredder, shredder is a bad guy is way cooler than those. Oh right? yeah. Absolutely. So. <laughs> um, was also a lot of plushes that like were, I, I was surprised at how many plushes were, I guess I did, I thought up and then not put out. Like yeah, Donatello in a farmer hat. For some reason, Donatello seems to be a farmer a lot. Uh, Donatello in a farmer hat, and like there are these transforming plushes that turn from a turtle to like a like a baby turtle. So like right. cool things that never made it to made it never made it to shell. Yeah, that little mutations plush. Like I don't know how that never went anywhere. That's just a fantastic idea. It's oh like, yeah, it turns inside out. I mean, they made a whole entire. How, how long did that mutations line in the toys go on four or five years? And yet there's yeah. this plush. It's like, like that plush is probably better than any of the mutations figures, honestly. And it's the <laughs> one that didn't get made. So, yeah. and yeah, but man, like the rock steady and the bebop plushes are so oh, yeah, they look great. great. Yes. They look fantastic. So I guess it was just the line didn't sell that well. Obviously they prototyped a bunch of them up. Um, I was extremely fortunate. You know, there's pictures of, of those in, the toy fair catalog, but they're fairly small. And I was extremely fortunate rather late in the process to, to uh, find the photographer of those pictures. And he had oh, cool. high risk scans. And I was like, Oh my God, this is fantastic. I can get a really nice picture of these plushes in here. Cause now I've got like a 4k scan of his negative. So <laughs> that worked out really, really well that I, I was able to find that guy. So oh, and I, didn't awesome. know, I didn't know his name or anything. I just was contacting people that I was told did photography and he said, Oh yeah, I've got some scans. I'll send them over. And he, he sent them and I'm starting looking through them. I'm like, Oh my God, here's the plushes. This is awesome. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah. The, yeah the I was able to do a couple different designs for a splinter that were like, that were just great splinter plushes and they never, yeah. And there was some light of day. Yeah. 
Yeah, most of those don't exist anymore that I know of. Uh, um, the photos that are in the book uh, are mostly from the photographer, is just his archives. Um, the the mutations one does exist, and there is one splinter one with a white with a white coat, not the purple fuchsia coat that's in the okay. catalog. But uh, there's one splinter and the mutations one that do still exist. They're still. I'd around. be shocked to find out that like like Bebop and Rock City and things like that. I mean, I guess I don't know. I have ones from a couple of years later that are still look okay, but I just would be amazed, you know, yeah. still existed somewhere. Yeah. I've, I've, man, those are like, as far as like my own personal collection, those, those plushes are really high on the list of, <laughs> Oh, I hope they turn up someday or somebody finds them or something. Cause those would be, uh, yeah, that's pretty high. One pretty high on my grail list, let's say for my own personal collection to be able to get a couple of those. So, well, let me ask you, what was one of the, okay, let me ask, what was like the thing that maybe surprised you the most that still existed today? Ah, uh, surprised me the most that still existed. Um, it would, I think without a doubt, and it's not a surprise that it sort of still existed, surprise that it existed at all, was the Warriors of the Forgotten Sewer Elf. Um, because, because that thing, um, you know, we, the Warriors of Forgotten Sewer, the, the four unreleased ones, it's kind of three and a half because it's, it's three new figures in one repaint of a figure or went unreleased. So there's the, the Knights, Mike, the Wizard Splinter, and the War Cat. And then they were going to repaint the Savage Leo in a different paint scheme and package it as a two-pack with the War Cat. Right. So they're kind of three, kind of four figures unreleased for that line. But very early on, I was, I was turning up lots of concept art um, because... I got uh, some some of the sculpting studios were the easiest ones to people to find. And so as I started talking to them and I started getting more and more art, I saw s- lots of sketches of other figures for the Forgotten Sewer line, um, you know, including like a generic warrior and the, the Dark Knight, sh- Black Knight Shredder, which is in the comic. Um, there, there were design sketches. And then one was for an elf. And I actually talked to... Uh, um, I actually found uh, with a marketing person at Playmate some an early version of the comic book, and that was like just really rough sketches. And it's it's all it's the, that whole uh, series of rough sketches is in the book. It's so great. if you want to look yeah. up there, yeah. But um, that the early story had uh, had the fourth turtle because everybody's like, well, where's Raphael? Why why did why did is there three of the turtles are in the comic, but Raphael's not in the comic? It seemed yeah. weird. And um, so I was like, well, they, they literally wrote him out of the comic pretty early because that was like a draft and the story's completely different. And then like the next draft, there is no elf character. So I found a couple sketches of an elf the, that some, uh, one of the guys at one of the studios did. And so I thought for sure that was as far as it went. I had not heard any rumors of any 3D sculpt being made. I had not seen any evidence that it went to 3D. None of the sculpting guys had any had any uh, sculpts of it or hard copies of it or anything. So I'm like, okay, clearly this was one like the Shredder and the others that just never even went to sculpting. And then there was this one guy that was really, really um, hard to get a hold of. And I actually had to get a hold of him through another um, guy that worked with him that I got to be friends with. And when I finally got him on the phone after trying for probably six or eight months to, to contact him, you know, I asked him, like, you know, do you have anything that'd be interesting for the book? He's like, oh, yeah, I have I have one figure that I, I it was it was never made because I only took it to the step of making the clay. And 
and that's as far as it went. And then I stopped because um, it got canceled. And I, I kept that one. And he's like, and I'm like, oh, well, what is it? He's like, it's like an elf figure, I think. <laughs> and my jaw just dropped. I remember exact. I was like calling him from work over my lunch hour. I remember exactly where I was at when he said that. I'm like, oh my God, you have the elf figure from the words of, for, uh, he's like, yeah, it's an elf figure. And I'm like, you can't believe how excited I am to see photos of that. Like how excited I am to put that in the book. It was hard for me just to not tell anybody for like a year and a half that I had found it. <laughs> like, I was just like, I'm not telling, cause this has got to be a surprise for the book. I'm not telling sure. anybody. Yeah. And so that was probably the most shocking thing that I turned up that I'm like, I cannot believe this exists because there was no evidence. And it was literally like this guy was starting the sculpting. He probably worked on it for, maybe a week and then they cancel it and he just put it in a box and took it home. So there was no evidence anywhere that existed except with him. Oh, so, wow. um, yeah, that was probably the most shocking and, and fun too, because I really love that line. That's like yeah. one of my favorite sublines. So to, to find out that there was an elf that was at least partially went to 3d, it was yeah, pretty, pretty shocking. Lines like that as a kid always drove me crazy when there was like, not all four turtles. Like, yeah. That wasn't even the worst one because I could handle two, but when there was three and not a four, not the fourth just would just boggle my mind. Like, do you yeah. know, like, do you know why that ever happened? Like in certain lines, like the Jim Lee line, and there's the birthday party line. There's other ones that just like there's no fourth turtle, and yeah, I, I mean, I never got any real good solid answers for any of them. I mean, sure. it's it's likely just that. Um, you know, for a variety of reasons, they decided they were only going to do three figures. And so they decided to drop one. I mean, it could be anything from they only had the budget to tool up three of them. It could be that though the master cartons they were going to pack them in could only fit X number of figures and they didn't have room for the fourth and they didn't want to go to a bigger carton because then the shipping goes up. I mean, there's all kinds of things that can come into play there. Right. Um, uh, so yeah, I don't have any solid answers on any of the lines, but it's, it's mainly just chalk it up to, you know, business decisions, sure. um, financial business decisions that had to be made that sometimes they didn't, they didn't do all of them. There's also like a number of times where we got a bebop, but not a rock steady. More often we got a bebop and not a rock steady. And I think yeah. it's the other way. And that always drove me crazy. Yeah. Yes. that's more of the same, like, <laughs> yeah, we just only have money for two bad guys. So let's do shredder. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, uh, you know, they just had to make those business calls sometimes or, you know, it could be just timing reasons as well. Like, hey, we got three of these sculpted, but we don't have time for the fourth one. So let's just run with it. Like there could be <laughs> stuff like that. I, I, like I said, I didn't get any, I don't think anybody really has solid recollections from 30 years ago of the, the exact yeah. reason like the fourth one wasn't made. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, generally, I, the answers I got were all, you know, yeah, those are just business decisions to get made and, you know, for budget or for a cost or for whatever. And, and, you know, we ended up, nixing one of them so but for like for the birthday ones i don't even recall if i've seen any concept art for the fourth one honestly no i, I didn't yeah it was something in the book about and that was one that seemed like yeah three's good from the start but like surely something for donatello could have been lasted yeah <laughs> that was when they were getting towards the end anyway though and i think they were starting to run out of ideas <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> um let's see there's oh man one of the coolest things that was cut that i was just astounded at the details of it was that giant sewer like the crazy oh the movie the movie too 
Yes, that was amazing. <clears throat> yeah, that thing was, I'm sure that was cut because it would cost too much. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Pretty positive. That would be why. Just as my background is a toy in the toy industry, I'm going, yeah, I don't even know how they made it that far with that thing because there's no way anybody that even looked at concept sketches would go, yeah, we can make this at a good cost. <laughs> it's just so, it's just so crazy insane. But, you know, that was, that was, um, you know, there's a lot of stuff in the book that's literally just file photography, I call it, you know, photos that were taken in the, at the time. And I was able to find quite a bit of those two sources, uh, especially had stacks and stacks of those type of photos. And so like, I have so many that, that didn't make the book as far as that kind of stuff goes with these photos of prototypes. So I picked the ones that were definitely most interesting. And, and that one was by far my favorite of all the file photography I found. And I put every single photo I had of it in the book. I was like, this has got to go in there. Cause, cause it's just, it's just so great. Um, and it is too bad that that never got made. We did get some large play sets though, eventually with Ninja Turtles further down the line, but, Nothing oh, yeah. still as big as that. Like even the big ones they're making today, I think that thing was probably three times the size of those big ones that you know came out in the last five years. Oh yeah, it's huge, and it's so like it's so like cool. Like, like it would be a great display piece too. Like that was the thing that would like it was. So yeah, cool about it. it was just like so many little facets to it. Street level, and all, like the the subway car, all these other things that could have been in there. That were yeah. I wish I wish there were a picture of the other side. I wanted to see what they were thinking to the back. Oh like, yeah, true. Does it look like what, you know, what it, does it look like a New York city street? Obviously the outsides, like the city buildings and the insides, the sewer, like, but there's no pictures that I had of, of the backside of it. So I, I don't really know. Yeah. Like even bigger places at the time, like, I don't know, like castle gray color <laughs> stuff like closed up, right? Like that. Yeah. And that one might've closed <laughs> up too. It's, it's hard oh. to tell. It's possible that the two sides could have folded in. Cause they Maybe. look like they're the two sides look like they're a little shorter than the middle section. So it's, I think yeah. it might, it might've folded up. So, or maybe that was their intent, even if the prototype didn't, didn't technically do that. But yeah, that's a, that's a pretty cool thing to throw in there. That's another one. I, I kind of, I showed, showed that around a little bit when I first saw those, but I'm like, I'm going to stop showing these pictures on and keep it a surprise. Cause I wanted there to be some things that, you know, I mean, obviously if you're not like heavily involved in maybe some of the Facebook groups where I was posting a few things where I found them, a lot of this stuff is all brand new to you. But I, for even those people that I was like, you know, interacting with a lot online and showing things to you. I wanted there to be surprises in this book where they go, holy crap, like how long have you yeah. known that was out there? And you didn't, you didn't show me <laughs> like, yeah, that, that was a surprise. I was holding it back. So I wanted to be those, those oh crap moments where you turn the page and you're just like, I, I just can't even believe what I'm looking at right here. Like I wanted some pages like that. Oh yeah. Like there's even little things like, like early on the Ace Duck at art had like two different hats which makes a lot of sense because otherwise it probably would have been molded on like most of the other characters were. Yeah. It was one thing or like Murdude had a cool mustache for the longest time <laughs> and then it just dropped. <laughs> yeah. That went all the way to tooling, which is so weird. I'm like, it's just strange. <laughs> yeah. The battleships were also very cool. I thought that was literally the last thing I found to put in the book. Really? I found those like, I think two weeks before I <laughs> had to submit it. And I went to Chance, the designer, like, uh, Chance, like, I need to, I need you to move like 12 pages for me. And, you know, <laughs> if you look at the book, moving a page is not easy because in the, in the upper corners are those, the year guides, right? Sure. So if you switch a page from odd to even, the, the page guide has to flip to the other side of the page and everything has to shift around. Sure. So it's like for him to move like 12 pages, 
<laughs> shift everything one page was just like, oh, yeah, I need you to do this. And I'm going to take this out and add this whole new page here. And he's the champ. He did it. Like, <laughs> I can't give that. I can't give Chance enough credit, man. He just, I mean, I, I kind of, you know, when you start something like this, you kind of have an idea in your head of what you want it to be. And you, you maybe can't articulate it exactly, but you know, when you see it, that it's what you want. And, and I'll tell you, like, I've done lots of various projects of this kind of nature, creative in nature. And there's usually something that's like, man, that is like, that's really great. It's like, there's a couple little things that bug me about it. You know, not quite exactly spot on with my sort of like ideal thing I had in my back of my brain, but man, this, the design of this book is 100% perfect in my mind. Like, yeah, it looks great. Uh, it really does. He just did such a great job and everything about the design, I absolutely love. So I'm um, like, I wouldn't change a single thing about the design. And basing it on the van too was a smart move. Because I'm guessing you couldn't call it anything Turtles, anything on the cover, right? Yeah, I, I had to keep away from the official logos other than if they appeared in a photograph of like a toy, that was fine. Sure. Um, but yeah, that was Chance's idea too, that cover. I knew from the very beginning I wanted the book to be square because I knew I wanted to put multiple figures on one page and going eight and a half by 11 was going to really make things tight. Sure. So I, I wanted a square book and we decided on 11 by 11 because because then I could stand there like the 12 inch shipping containers and that, oh, that cool. gives you some, some benefits. And so, um, yeah, and when he, we were, we'd, gone through a lot of different cover designs i i had prototyped someone some with my horrible photoshop skills just to get an idea across i had some friends do sketches and stuff chance did a few and then i don't know where he got the idea but he went one day he says why don't we make it like the front of the van and i'm like that sounds like a great idea he's like why don't you go do that and he went and the first time i saw it i'm like oh my god that's it <laughs> we're done like this like there there's you will not convince me that there's you could do anything better than this for the front of this book. So, and obviously we tweaked some things, add a little like shadows in the windows yeah. and we, yeah. we messed with the logo in the middle a little bit, but um, I think we had the logo first. We had like this round logo with the, you know, the sort of inverted red and green uh, from the turtles logo to sort of evoke the turtles logo, you know, yeah, uh, with that little red banner. Um, and so I think we had that logo first. And when he dropped that thing right in that curve, like, sort of the spare tire on the front of the van. I'm like, Oh my God, that is, you just nailed it, buddy. So yeah, I'm, I'm so tickled at the work he did. It did look, it does look great. I, it, where did the name rad plastic come from? It just sounded right. Uh, it no, I, I actually, I actually went on a Facebook group and I said, I just am looking for names. Like, I don't know what I want to call this thing. You know, it's like, I want a really cool name and I'll give props to my buddy, uh, Justin Rowland. Um, you know, people were listing names and a lot of them like, Oh, that's, that's not very good or that's too wordy or whatever. And I don't know. It was, it was like a couple of few hours after I posted it. And I just saw Justin and he said, rad plastic. And I'm like, I am done. That's the name. Again, it it was just like, it's just like one of these things. It's like, you don't know it, but when you see it, it's right. And you know it will never get any better than that. It wasn't like this brainstorm thing where I had to pick take 10 names and pick the one. No, it was like he said that. And I'm like, rad plastic. I'm like, damn, that is so perfect. So yeah. yeah, props to Justin. 
he doesn't get enough credit. He's always bugging me about like, I gave you your name <laughs> for the book. So, but yeah, he definitely des- deserves credit for that name. It's, it's a really great name. It is great. It works perfectly. Um, um, and what else did I want to ask you about? One other thing that surprised me too, was at the very end, uh, like right in 1997, just before the uh, next mutation figures came out, there was a whole line again of sports turtles that were like gonna hit. I I was amazed because by then the line had kind of wound down. Yet here was these sketches for these last maybe one cool set of sports turtles that never saw the light of day. Yeah, and there was also like uh, the police line too, the enforcers. Yes, that too. Yes, um, that was that was late in the line. I don't remember if those were. I think those were the same year, but um, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, those just were sketches. They never went anywhere. I don't, it, it might be that, uh, you know, some of the design studios were just asked to go, like, go create a couple lines for us and see what you come up with. And they just went their own way. And one guy decided to do a sports line. Another guy decided to do a a, a police uh, line. The, the police enforcers line definitely went farther <laughs> because I know that packaging designers were engaged in starting some logos and stuff for that line. So that one was definitely considered, I think, much deeper into the process than the sports figures were. The sports figures, I think, were just concept sketches, and that was it. Um, So, and, uh, yeah, but you're right. It was like, were they just, uh, did they not know yet that it was declining enough and they thought they were still going to do a big release that year? I'm not sure. Uh, because like 90, by 95 and 96, it was like just trickling out. Look. Right. And then suddenly yeah. it was, 97 looks like it was coming back again that it didn't. So. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Did so you, uh, it, was, I, it was welcome for me because I really liked the next mutation toys, but did you wrestle with the decision of whether or not to include them? No, I didn't. I know, I know a lot of collectors sort of discount them from the line, but I'm like, you know, there was a break from basically 2000 to 2003, right? Like 1999, yeah. actually to 2003. Like no toys came out at all. Yeah. The mutations were A before that, and B had one year, 1997, where they overlapped the regular line. Yeah. So I'm like, how like and you can't say, well, just because they're from a TV show, well, so were some of the turtles from the movies. Yeah. So sure. that was this different medium than the cartoon, right? So you had ones from the cartoon and the Archie comic books, and then you had the movies, and then there was a TV show. It's like I don't understand why people don't include it other than just, it's like the branding was sort of radically different, right? They really heavily went with that next mutation brand, but then there were other lines, like even earlier, like words of forgotten sewer, like that is sort of its very own unique brand as well. So yeah, yeah I don't understand why it, maybe there's a good reason. I just don't get, <laughs> um, I think people being, just don't like that show and the kind that of might be it, but I mean, yeah. like the, but I've always, I, I mean, I, I said this, I, I interviewed Kevin Eastman and he took, he's like, you can blame me for next mutation. But I was like, no, one of the cool things about that show is the toys for it were really cool. Like they had a great, yeah. like the basic stuff, a really cool set of toys. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and I really, you know, the, the one toy in there that you do people do hear people kind of talking about is uh, the Dr. Queens. Yeah. Because uh, you know, all we had for it was um, a little, a couple little pictures. Like I think it was on a card back somewhere, and it was in the Toy Fair catalog, and that was it. Um, so it's sort of this mythic figure, even though most people don't like the rest of that line. Doctor Queese is the one that's sort of like you know they talk about, and it's sort of a horrific figure as it well. Is, but, yeah, it's covered in blood. But, uh, yeah, yeah, but um, I'll give you a little a little secret there on you know if you look in the book there's a full page spread of him 
Yes. And, <laughs> and uh, oh man, I, I wanted so bad to get a full page spread because for all the ones that were like completely unreleased, I really wanted a big, nice single page on, on the unreleased each one. And I could not find any pictures anywhere. Like there was, there was uh, the ones from the catalog, the one from the card back, nothing. I went and like bought every issue of there's some toy magazines that were out back in the nineties, one called action figure digest and one called Tomarts. And I like, I went through and found everyone that had pictures of toy fair. I bought every issue. I looked through them trying to find the picture of Dr. Queese. And the best one I found was, I don't know, like 400 by 200 pixels. Um, that was a, like a playmates internal photo. And it's actually, you can find it online, but it's, it was clearly one taken by Playmates as part of the um, uh, marketing process. But I don't know where it was ever used by them. But I'm like, man, this is the best I can find. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? So I started researching like um, just uh, new technology for enhancing photos and upscaling photos and things like that. And I found this one that's like this AI, advanced AI photo scaler. <laughs> and I cranked that thing up from. <laughs> Oh, like wow. 200 by 400 pictures pixels to something that was that was like i don't know 4000 dpi or 4000 by 4000 dpi and like if you look at it close in the book you can kind of tell that it's a little bit like mm. image but it looks fantastic and probably I if i hadn't told that story probably no one would ever picked up on it I but it's just that. it was just amazing that like the technology is there to take this little photo and blow it up to something that big and still have it look really really good so, um, you know, that was funny. I remember the day I was playing with that and I was like, chance, look at this. You won't believe this software could blow this thing up. And he's like, that's incredible. I can't believe it. So yeah, that, that was a fun one. You know, sorry, what you were talking about with the spreads, like how, how, like you give a lot of real estate and I'm glad you did to like the toys that were never made, uh, versus like doing every single action figure and having either <laughs> a book that's a thousand pages or yeah thousands of tiny pictures i mean did you kind of wrestle with that decision at all well you know i knew in design in general i'm a big fan of of open space i don't like the designs to feel crowded sure um and so that's just a design aesthetic that i personally sort of have latched onto from through my career and you know i'm an engineer but being in the toy industry a lot my career was heavily influenced by designers and aesthetics, right? Unlike say you're engineering a bridge or a vacuum cleaner or something, it's like not quite as, as design driven as a, a toy, right? Cause it's, it's all about the design. So I kind of got an appreciation for that pretty early on. And, and so I knew if I did it, like you said, I didn't want to do an image of one image per page or two, cause then the book would be like 800 pages. But I also knew that I needed some space. So what I tried to do is, is give it a good mix. So hopefully as you're going through it, you'll see some crowded, not crowded pages. Not, I don't think any page is really crowded. But you'll see pages with several pictures on them. And then you'll hit a page that's like a big spread, a double spread with lots of space. You know, like um, I'm thinking of the page with the two um, uh, dino unreleased uh card back artworks right you turn and you open that page and you're like man it's just two artworks there strange you know a couple little other pictures or the page with the air force construction ones where you, you pull open that spread and there's like the two big paintings right yeah. and so it almost feels like you know i'm i'm 
I've been a writer my whole life and not just like this, but also fiction type stuff. I know like in that space, you always want to give your audience room to breathe and relax. So it's kind of that mentality, like, oh, you're flipping through it. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh, wow. Look at this. I'm just, I'm like, it's coming at you like a fire hose. And then you turn a page and you just, oh my God, I can just sit here and relax a second. You know, I can just breathe and just sit on this page and, and then, oh, now I'm back at it again. You know, it's kind of like an action movie. Like you, you get into it and then like, oh, you got to rest for a minute. Cause otherwise you're just, you know, your brain needs that break. So I kind of viewed it that way. Those pages, big spreads would not only highlight the best pieces, but could also be that breathing space for the reader to just sort of pause there and just go, I can just look at this page for a while. I don't, it's not, you know, it's not uh, overwhelming me at all. Yeah. It's cool too. Cause like I, 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 to be honest, I wasn't sure like if I was going to get the book at first, just cause I wasn't like, I thought it might be like a book version of that. Um, that great website, the Ninja Turtles museum. I'm sure you know about, of it, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not that at all. Like it really goes in the process. Really cool. It's a really good art book. And most of what yeah. I love the fact that you gave so much real estate to the toys that didn't come out because it was like, Oh, this is shit I didn't know about or barely knew about or whatever versus like a catalog of toys most of which I own, right? Like, right. So yeah. like, it was cool to see, like, that was like, when I found, I started to see more of it, it was cool to see this is a really cool put together art book and not just a catalog of what was. Yeah, what, that, that's the whole goal. It is an art book. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, as sort of geek culture has been on the rise over the last 10 or 15 years, right? Definitely. It's, it's like as the, the, you know, the generation that sort of were the geeks when they were in grade school, right? The, starting probably in the late seventies with star Wars and on through all the geek stuff of the eighties, right. When, when we were all kids in the nineties, but as, as that, those generations became adults, like, of course, geek culture is going to become viewed upon positively and, and not as this sort of negative connotation it had because now we're the adults. So we control the narrative. Yeah. (laughs) Not, not the parents or the bullies that were, you know, ahead of us in school. So, uh, you know, as that has has moved forward, um, I think there is more and more of appreciation for some of these pop culture things as artwork. You know, yeah. it kind of started with Andy Warhol a little bit, right? I mean, the whole Campbell Soup thing and the Marilyn Monroe painting and et cetera. He, he kind of was a pioneer in like taking pop culture things and turning them into art. But this is a little different in that it's it was it was made for a, it wasn't made to be art, right? It wasn't intended to be art. Like, like a painter would paint something that would go in an art gallery and be sold. But nonetheless, the artistry is there, you know? Oh yeah. Not everybody can pick up a scalpel and carve a piece of wax into something that looks fantastically beautiful. Not everybody can, you know, paint a, a painting of, of something for a packaging design that, that looks like that. So, you know, I kind of like if an artist, if it takes an artist to produce it, then it's art. So, uh, but it's pop culture art. And I think that, you know, the society is getting to the place where more and more people are appreciating that kind of art. I mean, you certainly see it in other, in other toy lines. You see it in things like uh, video game packaging, art collecting, or (laughs) magazine, magazine cover, you know, art collecting, things like that. That like it, the ultimate goal of it wasn't to be a piece of artwork. It was a functional thing for whatever marketing or selling something, but it is art in its own right. So yeah, I definitely, it was, it was always an art book. That's always what I wanted it to be. 
Yeah, it's cool. It's not. It's not a, like it, it. It mentions everything as like a nice guide, but it it it's not like a catalog of like for even the, the most diehard turtles fans. There's plenty of surprises in there, so like it's it's really cool. Yeah, and you know, like like I said, like you said, there's that you know the website that has um, you know pictures of everything with the yeah, and that's great. With but the I, I just, and <clears throat> and as you know, somebody did a uh, guy. Uh, uh, I think his name is Jonathan Dollarop. He's out of somewhere in the, I don't remember, Finland, Sweden, somewhere over there in, in that area, Denmark. Um, he okay. made he made a book just like that. I mean, with all oh. the pictures of all of them. And, you know, it's great. Like, those those kind of guides are great. They're very functional, right? They're something you, you know, oh, well, which successor am I missing? Let me look him up and I can pick yeah, it out, yeah. you know, yeah. right? They're very handy and very useful. Um, but it, I wouldn't really call it a book of art. Sure. I mean, you could, you could say yeah. that. Yeah, you know the figures are art, but the purpose of it is a functional purpose to help collectors sure. collect. So the purpose of mine is to highlight the artistry. Cool. Yeah. Uh, honestly, I, we're pretty much wrapped up. I just had a few questions for you, and you might not have answers for any of these, but um, I'm just curious if you stumbled across anything. Um, one thing I've always been like perplexed by is: it, was there any sort of coordination between? the toys and the cartoon and the comics, because it is all over the place. There's tons of characters in the toys that were never anywhere else. There's tons of characters from the comics and cartoon that never made it to toys. And lots of characters look different. So I'm curious, do you know of any sort of vague? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Especially early, there was lots of coordination. Um, you know, I don't know how long that lasted. I, I would guess by the time we got to 93, 94, there was much less of that happening. Um, but yeah, early on, especially there was tons of coordination between those, um, you know, they would have, you know, the guys at Mirage would come up with the character, uh, that they wanted to do put in, especially the Archie comic was the, was the one that really, uh, would inform the toys. Cause it was sort of the kids comic book. Right. Mm. Um, uh, they would come up with ideas and they would get to the cartoon or the cartoon writers would meet a character and they come up with the idea and, and, you know, have somebody sketch it up and then it would go to playmates and, but as these things work, you know, what might be necessary for the cartoon story or work well in a moving medium might not be great for a toy or might not work in print medium and vice versa and all around. So, um, you know, each place did what they needed to do for their own. And as they could cross pollinate, they really did try to do that because, you know, obviously for playmates, especially if kids are seeing this on the cartoon screen, they yeah. want the toy of it. Right. Or less so probably in the comic book, just because I think the comic book probably wasn't quite as as popular with kids at the time as the cartoon was. Yeah. Um, but even so, the cartoon the comic book guys would be like, oh, I want to get the thing from the cartoon into into my comic book, so I sell more comics. Or they're like, oh man, I really want to be the guy that designs a cartoon character, sort of the self-ego thing, right? And so it's like, well, I'm going to make some cool characters and try to get them into the cartoon and then I'll put them in my comic too and then I can say, ah, oh, see that? I, I designed Ray Filet, you know, or whatever. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, they were doing, they were all talking to each other. I mean, I've, I, I've run across a lot of, of uh, paperwork stuff that was faxed all over the place and you'll see faxes going back and forth between Mirage and Playmates and, and um, I know they were talking with the cartoon uh, company as well. Um, you know, some of the guys at Playmates told me specifically that that was happening. So it definitely was. But in the end, they all each had to do what was right for their segment. Sure. And, if, and if they overlapped, that was fantastic. And they loved it. And if it didn't quite work out, that was OK. 
my uh, one of my favorite toys as a kid, and still is uh, is Walkabout, and he never showed up anywhere. He was just like this yeah. cool kangaroo guy, but had no story <laughs> and nothing to offer aside from yeah. cool toys. <laughs> yeah, he's one of my favorites too. <laughs> it's a great design, and it's one of the yeah. few with a like other like. There's a few that have like, and he's one of them with like a little extra bit of uh, uh, articulation. Like, mm-hmm. there's also two or three characters with like ball jointed elbows, like. Uh, 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 Ace Duck and Magician Raphael, which all, like weirdly have way more articulation than other toys. Yeah, that always, that, those always surprise me too. So, um, oh, the Ninja Action Line, the ones that look like the Mirage toys. Right. Do yeah. you, did you find anything else about those? Because that always perplexed me. Is like they're the only kind of Mirage turtles we had up until NECA started making them, and they're <laughs> cool. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I didn't really. I didn't find that, find a whole lot about that line, honestly. Okay. Um, that was one of the lines that I just didn't run across that much stuff for. As you can see in the book, there's not, I don't think there's much in the book on that particular line, but as far as you're right, it's the only one that kind of, they have like the triangular mouth and yeah, looks, you know, a little, a little bit more, right? Turtles. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, so I don't, I don't know where that came from or the genesis of, of them making, making them with that design aesthetic. So yeah, I don't have an answer for you there, unfortunately. That's fine. <laughs> Uh, last weird question like that. Do you have any idea why they made the transforming Bebop white? Because that always drove me crazy. Yeah, that one I haven't heard either. I okay. <laughs> no clue. It's not even a question I thought to ask. So um, I, I I didn't even realize like until much later that that was even like, I don't know, it just never struck me as like, oh, why is he white? I mean, it makes sense when somebody tells you but until, sure. until I was told, I was like, it never, it never hit my brain. Sure. So as I was doing most of my research, I never even thought to ask the question because it never, it never hit my mind that that was odd. Um, but yeah, it I is odd. Him the answer. I, I, like, I asked Hensi that question. He's like, I, how would, yeah, I- he wouldn't know. It, it would be the marketing people that would know sure. the question, the answer to that. And, you know, maybe, maybe if I'm ever talking to some of them, you know, I, I still uh, get together with, especially when I'm out in LA, I'll get together with some people that I talk to. Some of them have become friends, you know, they help so much and I, I just enjoy hanging around with them. So I'll go to dinner or something. And if I'm ever out there, maybe I'll ask, <laughs> do you know anything about this? Like, come on, like why, why did that happen? <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, honestly, that wraps it up. Uh, I wanted to make sure that where to send people to get rad plastic is still available, right? No, actually I am sold out at the moment. Oh no. Okay. So, uh, but I will say this, there will absolutely be another printing at some point. I cannot tell you exactly when, likely next year, i.e. 2020 sometime, probably not in 2021. Uh, so uh, if you want to keep abreast of what's going on and, and uh, news and learning about info about a reprint as it comes up, I'm hoping to be able to announce something later this year. but probably won't be available until next year. Uh, but you can go, I, I first, my website, radplastic.com, you can go there. And also I've got, um, in lieu of the book right now, I do have some merchandise you can buy. Uh, there's like Rad Plastic shirts and some stickers and um, oh, yeah, a great. really cool design Chance Anderson did that's sort of like a mystery machine uh, turtle van mashup. <laughs> it's it's a fantastic design. I love it. So uh, you can you can go there to radplastic.com and check those out if you want to get a t-shirt or something in the meantime. Um, but if you want to find out news about anything going on, new merchandise we're going to have or the book reprint, um, Facebook page uh, for Rad Plastic, just facebook.com slash radplastic. 
go there and just uh, follow me, follow that page, and that'd be the best place to get all the news for for when the reprint will be coming. I promise you there will be reprints. I just I just can't really talk about when just yet. That's cool. No, that's cool. And I, I it's well deserved because it's been a again, this book is awesome. I'm yeah. glad, I was probably one of the later people to order it. So I'm really glad. I yeah, it, it's I I the first print run was twelve hundred copies and I sold out in, in about about ten to twelve weeks. That's awesome. That's so it was that was yeah, it was I didn't expect to that they would go that fast. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's been really well received. And I've, I've been really happy. I, you know, I was a little worried, uh, when I was doing it, like, Oh man, are people just going to be disappointed? Cause what they really want is that encyclopedia book. Yeah. And that's what I was yeah. worried about. And I would say I was completely wrong. <laughs> yeah, no, so, good. Like that's, most that's people want an encyclopedia left. book as well, but yeah. they, they love, uh, you know, yeah. what I did with mine. So I've, I've been really, I've been really humbled by the kind comments from everybody in the community. So I really do appreciate, uh, you know, that everybody loves it and, uh, and props to Chance Sanderson again, and Justin Rollin for the title. (laughs) And, and I also, I should really mention my crew. Um, uh, my wife, Melinda helped out with a lot of the research and then, uh, my crew research crew, Gary Borbidge, um, Stephen Ward and Matt George, those are my buds. Some of my, through this whole process probably became some of my maybe best lifelong friends in the world. And so uh, those guys helped a ton. They were there along the whole way, going on trips, taking photos, visiting people, calling people, finding, helping me find stuff, helping me do research. So, um, yeah, big shout out to those, those fellas and my wife as well. Cool. Uh, last question for you. And I asked this of everybody, uh, who's your favorite turtle and why? My favorite turtle, um, if I have to go with, you're talking now like character-wise, not action figure, right? Uh, well, I was going to do like, who's your favorite? And then who's your favorite toy of that one? But I don't know. Answer it however you please. Okay, so I'll, I'll answer. So of the four turtles, I'm a Leo fan. Okay. Um, uh, two reasons. Uh, number one, just blue's my favorite color, <laughs> which That's is a simple reason. Number two, I don't know. I just sort of gravitate to the leader, like... Uh, um, I don't, maybe it's something in my personality just likes the, uh, the leadership persona, I guess. So, um, yeah, I, I think Leo's of the four turtles, Leo's my favorite. So if you're talking figure, favorite Leo figure, that's, I never hadn't really thought about that. Oh, geez. Um, <laughs> I can tell you what my favorite figure is, but it's not Please, a Leo. Yeah, was that uh, my absolute favorite figure? Is the Wizard Splinter, the Spellcaster Splinter? That is an amazing figure. Yeah, um, it's, I wish we got it. <laughs> I mean, Splinter is a really close second for me of all the characters. Like, sure. in fact, if you're if you're asking me who's my favorite character of all of them, Turtle or not, uh, Splinter and Leo are pretty even with for me. So, but uh, man, that sculpt is just so freaking dynamic. It's just like this wind blown, and like the sleeves are blowing, and it's just it just looks like he's. He's just like he just looks wizardy, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I it's, it's so cool. It's such, a, it's such a great figure. Yeah, um, Leo though, man, there's a couple. Man, Chief Leo is a really great sculpt. Like, Chief oh my is- god, that sculpt is is pretty astounding. Um, Sewer Samurai is still very good. Like, it's still like the first variant one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was never a huge fan of that one. I do like that one, but I was never a huge fan. I'm just looking at my cabinets over here in my room <laughs> to go, okay, which ones are the Leos in there? Yeah, of the ones I'm just sort of seeing, uh, looking around, I'd, I'd probably go with the 
with the uh, Chief Leo because that sculpt is so good. And, and the painted hard copy is amazing. There's a picture of it in the book. The, oh, the paint, detail is amazing. The yeah. paint detail on that painted hard copy is just astounding. Um, so I'll go with that one. I hadn't really thought of it, but I'm, I'm going to go with that one. Awesome. Honestly, Chris, thanks so much for your time. And thanks for this awesome book. Uh, everybody check out uh, the, the pages he mentioned, Facebook, etc., radplastic.com. Uh, but yeah, Rad Plastic's a great book. And thanks for doing it. And thanks for being here. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks. Leonardo Leeds, Donatello, Dust Machine. That's a fact. Raphael is cool.